friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in Amiskwachewaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory, on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasawanisipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is friend of the show, Bashir Mohammed. I think you've been on a couple times now, Bashir, over the 100 plus episodes. Welcome back. And uh, joining us for the first time is uh, is Alex DaCosta, uh, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Alberta. Bashir and Alex, welcome to the Progress Report. Uh, thanks, Duncan. It's good to be here. So the reason we have both of you here today is to discuss uh, a very important like research project that you just released to the public. It's called the SRO or School Resource Officer Research Project, and uh, you know this was released oh, just recently, like what last week? Uh, yeah, two Sundays ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And it got a bunch of media coverage, but as is as how it goes, you know, like. <sighs> The media did a, a job of covering it. They definitely like looked at your numbers and and you know reported on it. But the trouble about an issue like this is that there's one, there's just a lot of information to process and digest, and two, like uh, like a like a ninety second radio hit or even like a seven hundred word story is not necessarily enough time to really kind of like digest everything that you found. And so, you know, today we're going to have, you know, a decent long conversation about what the heck you guys found. Um, but before we get into the results of your research, let's let's provide a bit of background on what exactly we're talking about when we're talking about school resource officers or SROs. So, um, you know, Bashir, why don't you lead off first? What What is the SRO program? When did it start? Why did it start? Yeah, so the SRO program is a police presence in schools. It was created uh, in Edmonton in 1979. And if you look at how the program's been advertised, it's kind of advertised as a community engagement tool, right? So on the website, you know, they talk about diversion, mentorship, and all that. And that's kind of how, you know, defenders of the program or people who argue for its expansion often speak about it. Uh, What we uncovered was another side of the program um, that's much more in line with traditional policing, and that's unfortunately been hidden um so we could we could talk about that other side later but that's just it's not it's not just all sports teams and high fives is what you're saying like these these cops in schools these cops in schools are still in fact cops yeah basically what we found is like our schools are essentially uh many many police stations where students still experience you know being charged still experience being labeled as offenders uh, 20,000 over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Damn. So what is uh, the size and scope of the program that we're talking about here? Uh, and let's, uh, yeah, like let's, and let's talk about that kind of pre 2020. Um, well, I mean, it says here, um, well, the information we found, right. That there were tw- uh, in the year 2019 to 2020, there were 29 police officers in 36 different schools in Edmonton. Um, it wasn't always this number, The program started with one officer in uh, the the proposal for one officer in Emmy Lazerte. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Emmy Lazerte School. Emmy Lazert. Um, Emmy Lazert, excuse me. And um, interestingly enough, uh, I'm doing some research on that, and I found that the 
SRO program there was requested by the school parent association. And they did this after the Calgary Police Department came up and presented about the program in Calgary. Uh, so this is the other interesting thing, and we can talk a little bit about this later, that you know, the development of these programs, it's not an isolated thing. The police agencies in various cities, and in fact, between the United States and locations in Canada are communicating with each other and sharing these types of programs, what they do, the types of plans you can implement. And so there is an international conversation among police agencies around these types of policing, right? So we see this happen even in the local case where the Calgary uh, Police Department comes up and presents to the parent association as well as the superintendent and a couple other folks. Um, so that starts, you know, the conversation. And then by the first year that they're implementing it, they've already got several officers, right? So it grows quickly from, oh, we propose one officer, now we have several officers. And then year by year, more and more principals make requests to have officers at their schools uh, in conversation with superintendent as well as the, the police um, agencies, right? And so we see it slowly grow to where we have 29 police officers in 36 different schools. Um, I think the other thing that is important to know is that, and I'm not familiar with how many other school districts do this, but sure, I believe you may have talked about this before, but the Edmonton Public School Board pays for half of the each SRO's salary, right? And if I'm not mistaken, in places like Toronto, uh, those those were fully paid by the police uh, association rather than um, the school district, right? So you have a situation where public's money for school for education is also supporting these types of programs. Yeah, like we we actually did some reporting on this, and back in 2019, 2020, we found that. Uh, Edmonton Public and Edmonton Catholic had spent $1.67 million on armed police in schools for their SRO program in, in the 2018-2019 school year. Um, $1.67 million in the context of you know the, the, those two school board's budgets, not huge, but it's still money that could be going to educational assistance or books or resources or field trips, like literally anything that would be improving the education of the students, uh, which is ostensibly why kids go to school. Um, so there you, I think that's like a good summary of kind of like why they started where they're at, what was the scale of the program kind of pre-2020? What happened in 2020 uh, to the SRO program at Edmonton Public Schools? Yeah, so this was kind of in the, in the wave of, um, you know, the resurgence of BLM. Um, you know, it was, it was a time where everybody was putting out, like, pro-BLM statements um, and everything. It was, I don't know, for me, it was kind of a weird time having talked about this for years, but suddenly the school board um you know decided to have like big public meeting about uh about this issue um the city council started having issue uh meetings about uh policing and uh with the school board specifically a bunch of people showed up spoke about the sro program cited previous research on it uh that showed a little bit of the data that we uncovered for example it showed people would cite data from 2012 2013 that was revealed by police themselves that showed a enforcement aspect. And what ended up happening was the program in the public school system was suspended, but in the Catholic school system um, still still continued. So um, it doesn't mean the program ended, um, like it can still easily come back. Basically what's happening right now is there's a review with the public system. Apparently uh, there's also a, re uh, a review with the Catholic 
uh, program. But at the, at the end of the at the end of the day, like these reviews are super sketch, right? Like if you look at the if you look at the request for um, uh, proposal, um, it's it's interesting because you know it, it doesn't really speak about data, right? Like it just speaks about like talking to students. And if you look at talking to students, parents, cops, and if you look at um, what the Peel study did, and we can get into this maybe a bit more, but the Peel study also didn't mention data, didn't really mention race. Um, and by data, I mean enforcement data. Didn't really get into race. And it's cited by SRO supporters as like the gold standard because it's seen as, you know, um, having uh, students, teachers, parents uh, say how valuable the program is, but it doesn't get into what the program actually is. So long story short, uh, there's this weird review process that's kind of happening that's pretty secretive. I don't really know who's leading it. And from that, I assume they'll decide what to do with the program. Yeah, that, that's right. There's currently a review process happening with respect to the Edmonton Public Schools and Edmonton Catholic Schools. There are currently 14 school resource officers in 17 schools. That program continues uh, just as normal, just as before. Um, one other thing I think before we get to the research project findings, which is that we'll link to this in the show notes, but like right before uh, the um, right before the Edmonton Public School Board decided to suspend the program and, and while it was under review, we released a story at Progress Alberta at the Progress Report where we quantified and reported on uh, the fact that there were multiple cops involved in police brutality, police misconduct cases, including the infamous like sweatbox case that uh, ended up as SROs. <laughs> um, and it, and there was uh, some speculation in that piece from uh, advocates that like that SROs were a place where bad cops were kind of like sent as punishment, which uh, is also uh, worth considering. And we will link to that in the show notes. But the reason why we're here today, though, is is because of the work that you, uh, Bashir and Alex, have done in pulling together this this freedom of information requests with respect to uh, this SRO research project. So, what did you find? Yeah. So, so the main thing we found is that the way the program is advertised is is is, is very inaccurate. Um, so, I mentioned before the enforcement aspect. We found that you know about two thousand students were charged over a ten year period. Um, we also found that, you know, 20,000 students were labeled as offenders and that SROs are involved pretty extensively, you know, in suspensions and students that are uh, expelled. Um, we also found more information about the bait phone program, which is a uh, program that's, you know, designed to entrap students and, and, and does not mention anything about diversion. So if you look at how the program has been advertised by, you know, True Blue Friend or you know, any SRO supporter, they often speak about diversion, but uh, what we found is uh, at least some of the things they ran, some of the programs they ran, their main goal was not diversion. Diversion wasn't mentioned at all. Instead, it was pure enforcement. So yeah, essentially that's kind of the key takeaway from this, right? Like this program is active policing in our schools. It's not necessarily what people say. And something to note, in that context is back in the day, you know, when I was like speaking about the program, a lot of people's like response, if they're pro SRO would often say, um, you know, what do you mean? Like, you know, Edmonton is not Toronto. Um, you know, these, these, you know, uh, like 
the, our students are not being criminalized. You know, the, the police are there as mentors. Now the data has come out, you'll see the response is kind of shifted. And, and it's like, well, what do you expect? You know, these students are criminals. Our, our schools are super unsafe. <laughs> uh, we, we, we need police. And it reminds me, uh, I think it was, is this for real? Um, and it may have also been Progress Alberta when Sergeant M. Chan, who kind of runs the program, was on CBC and he said students bring guns to school. And I think I think Michael uh, with, with CBC pushed him on this, which is very interesting because usually Edmonton Media doesn't really do that or know how to do that um, uh, when it comes to policing. And he had to backtrack and say, well, no, like there actually hasn't been a gun brought to a school. Um, so it's interesting. Like now, now you're seeing a lot of fear mongering. So I'm kind of going off a tangent now, but hopefully that provides a summary no, no. of the research. Yeah, like I, I think what this information, what this, what this really shows, is that like <laughs> there are harmful effects of having SROs in schools. Students are criminalized. Students are expelled. Students are suspended. Students are labeled as offenders, whatever the fuck that means. And when students face those consequences, their uh, path forward in life is like you are essentially just knocking like 30% of their hit points off, you know, to use a shitty video game analogy, right? Like you are making it extremely hard for those students to actually succeed and and like have worthwhile, meaningful lives where they control their own destiny. It, the, the, you know, there's lots of research to show that like when students don't complete high school, like they are more likely to end up on the street. They're more likely to end up, uh, you know, in the criminal justice system. And like, you know, you were saying it, right? Like, oh yeah, it's all about diversion. It's all about community. It's all about sports teams. And it's like, well, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's 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 about this other stuff too. Uh, Alex, is this is this like what you found here? Is this really the like evidence of the the school to prison pipeline kind of in action? Um, yeah, I I would say yes, and I'll get to that in one sec. I just want to touch uh, quickly back on a point that was made. Um, you know where. One of the things I've noticed over the years is you observe that in Edmonton, the police here have tried to differentiate themselves. So Bashir said, we, you know, the, the idea of we are not Toronto, um, whether it's people or the police spokespeople themselves, uh, whether it's the general public or, or them. Um, and, you know, this is something, you know, I'm from the U.S. Uh, and I moved to Canada in 2007. And one of the first observable things that I notice is how much Canada seeks to differentiate its its violent history from that of the United States. And so it's it, it puts up this binary. So, okay, we are not the United States. You know, we treated Indigenous people differently, which we know is not true. Um, you know, we did not have slavery, which we know is not true in Canada. Um, and so you get this idea of, you know, those folks are racist, we are not racist. So the Toronto police force may have issues with racism. We are not racist. So the use of this binary to differentiate. And I saw that come up during the carding um, conversation, right? Where the police chief even said that, you know, we are not Toronto. But um, so there's this idea that somehow the type of work that the police is doing here is very, you know, it may be different slightly, but that it's very different from the overall uh, system of policing that exists in Canada more broadly or in North, North America. Um, and one of the ways they do that is through, is through that community policing, uh, uh, the, the portrayal of, you know, community policing in a particular way. So, you know, the Edmonton Police Asso uh, uh, Services has won awards throughout the years 
for its community policing initiatives. Um, and so they use that type of thing to, to differentiate themselves from other forms of policing. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still policing. It's like, it's like the bad apples analogy when you say, oh, well, it's just one officer that is causing all these troubles that is being violent. It's not the institution. And we know that it's actually the institution of policing. Well, you know, oh, Edmonton police is different than Toronto police because, you know, it's kind of a bad apples thing, right? It's, it's still a larger system of policing that emerges out of, you know, racist and colonial, colonial history. And so that's where the school to prison pipeline kind of comes out naturally from that, right? We do see certain uh, populations in our society that are uh, incarcerated at higher rates than others. And, you know, the school system is part of putting people in that situation and snaring them into that system. And so when you have, um, and this is something we point out in the study, when you, the tendency uh, for students to end up somehow uh, ensnared in the school to prison pipeline or pushed into it increases with things like discipline in schools, especially suspensions and expulsions. So absolutely, uh, the chances of, of, of them ending up there instead of in university are much higher uh, when they go through the forms of discipline related to um, police in schools. Uh, you know, and in the U.S., you have the zero tolerance policies, right, that are really, really harsh. Um, you know, students can get in trouble for dress code violations. Um, you know, these kinds of things that that are just kind of, that are just absurd that shouldn't be part of education at all. Um, mm -hmm. So that's sort of a roundabout way to get to, to the answer that yes. I believe uh, that is happening here, um, that the data shows that we need to explore this further because I'm not going to believe claims that policing is somehow done differently when we're talking about a larger system. I'm not talking about the police chief as an individual. We're talking about policing in general, you know, and what we've seen in other jurisdictions and how it relates to what goes on here. Yeah, systems not individuals always, right? And, and Bashir, I've seen, I've seen you say this a lot on social media and in the in uh, you know the media that was quoting you with regards to your research, it's like clearly this information was being collected, right? You were able to get it in a freedom of information request, but this information was not made public until you asked for it. Isn't that incredibly like fucked up that like these details were simply not publicized? Yeah, um, I I think what I said, you know, um, this program has existed since 1979, and you know the fact that there's been no data on it should be a scandal and i feel like i feel like that point's kind of being uh whitewashed to an extent or like not really being addressed by by the school board um because if you look at 28 like it's not like i we weren't asking for this specific information in 2018 i went to the school board and you can look at their minutes and i ask about the program and i ask about data i met with multiple trustees back then asking about this, this specific information um so at, at best it's them just ignoring us and being ignorant at worst it's uh pure um uh i don't really know how to say it but at, 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 at worst is something much more intentional um you know it's something it's a way to justify the program by hiding information and and it's it's way a lot of it's it's, it's kind of how systemic you know racism kind of operates at edmonton right like if, if you go back like um, if, 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 if you talk about like any issue, uh, the way it's allowed to continue is through the hiding of data. So for example, like carding, like Progress Alberta was very involved in the whole carding stuff a few years ago. Uh, prior to that, you know, the police were like, what do you mean? And it does not happen here. 
and 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 then the data comes out. Like this is just the classic Edmonton strategy that I think a lot of people like need to realize that um, there's a very clear reason why this information is being hidden. And I think it's something that speaks about how this program should have just been canceled from the get go. Like there's no there's no other city or public funded program that's able to heavily increase its budget, that's able to launch their own missions and operations um, without some level of public scrutiny, right? Like think about any city department, think about anything that's funded by our tax dollars. There's always scrutiny. It's like clearing snow off the streets is heavily, heavily audited and and scrutinized and 16 different fucking people have their fingers in that pie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super messed up. And I feel like, I feel like um, for the last several years, I've been, you know, standing on top of a mountain um, with a giant megaphone trying to make this point that we need the information. So, yeah. And and the other thing, too, is like uh, Alex is right. Like um, we, we need information that shows us that this is a systemic problem. We do not need EPS parading around random teachers or parents that support the program using that as evidence like after this came out i had so many teachers uh messaging me on social media talking about how schools are dangerous i love my sro he's great yeah and and how you know they don't feel safe if like a big student is 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 an argument with, uh, with another student it's like it's just weird because are our schools this wild? Like, if you look at Toronto, and Toronto's always cited as a extreme compared to Edmonton, but if, if, if you look at Toronto, they ended their SRO program, and, and schools haven't really, you know, blown up. The, uh, the other thing to mention, too, is one interpretation of our data is, well, if 2,000 students have been charged, then that's good because those 2,000 students are criminals and they deserve the criminal charge. But if you actually look at the data, and you look at public data police already released, in 2017, only 1.6% of those charges actually actually led to a guilty, uh, uh, actually led to someone being guilty. Everything else was put to diversion or something else happened that, 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 that led to the charge. Uh, not leading to that conclusion. So you see this inflation that doesn't actually solve the problem. Instead, it just pushes people through a criminal justice system. 1.6% um, uh, end up with an actual guilty plea. So, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but hopefully well, that makes well, sense. I, I th- I think the other part here that's important to note is that like, while it is important that you got this data and you were able to get this data with your freedom of information requests, the Edmonton uh, Public School Board does not collect racialized data. We still don't know like what proportion of these students who were criminalized, we still don't know what race they were. We, we can guess just based on past historical trends and the reality of white supremacy in action. But like, but Alex, like this racialized data isn't being collected wasn't being collected is it is it being collected now well they're developing a a plan to collect it i think there has been a committee that did some consultations with um members you had to apply and you could you could write i think it was like 150 words about why you'd be good for the committee i full disclosure i applied to be on that committee um because i feel like they should have social scientists on there who work with data and who understand the ethics of 
what it means to collect uh, things like race-based data. Um, so there's a lot of ethical questions involved. There's a lot of implications, right? And so I'm not 100% sure who ended up on um, the committee. I have to look into that actually, but uh, they're developing a plan at NEPSB at least to collect that data. Um, that's one of the things that actually was a bit surprising to me. You know, on top of what we saw in the in the numbers themselves, was I sat back and contemplated, thinking, you know, if this is going on and people are seeing these numbers, you know, one can only, well. I don't say one can only, but why would this data not have been collected a long time ago? Especially since in Toronto, they developed uh, a, 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 a plan of collection of this type of data two decades ago, right? So if you're watching what other school districts in very diverse urban contexts, let's say, let's just limit it to that, are doing, why would they not have followed suit and said, well, if we want to actually have this world-class education system that Alberta is touted as having, isn't part of that understanding the different ways different students experience that system? Um, if we were to collect that data and talk about it, including, and when I say the data, it's just race, ethnicity, um, English language learners, uh, immigrant status, refugee status, disability, um, um, sexual identity, all of these things need to be collected because we might find that our school, some of the areas in which we think it's doing best, the school system, it may actually not be doing as well as we thought. And so the collection of this type of data is to identify the problems, to see who's not being served well by the public education system and to serve them better, to improve their experience, to make sure we're addressing the issues that affect them in the school system. So they're, they're creating a plan to collect it. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, I don't see the collection of race-based data as this game of gotcha, you know, like, hey, look, we finally can prove that the school system is racist. It's more about, yeah, it probably is having effects that are disproportionate on certain communities. And that's a serious thing that, you know, links back to questions of systemic racism and, and, and those other elements that are institutionalized in our education systems, whether as educators, we like it or not, right? And so, we shouldn't avoid it. We should we should confront it head on, and we should do something about it, right? And so that's that to me is the significance of collecting that data. Yeah, and it also goes back to like an, another Edmonton thing, Canada thing, right? Like as I was mentioning before, the way systemic racism is upheld is by hiding the information. Um, so if you look at kind of if you look at some of the response to the information we released, uh, there's also this argument: well, how how can you say it's uh, how can you say the impact is disproportionate if you know you don't even have race which is so disingenuous because <laughs> if you look at any enforcement data in edmonton that's broken up by race like traffic stops uh carding uh cannabis possessions they all have a very disproportionate impact you know with black uh uh you know uh with with black people for example just that's one category but in all cases where there's been enforcement data we've seen a a, a a clear disproportionate impact there are other ways to to go about this so um in my FOIP a few years back the reason it, they quoted me 64 grand was i asked for them to break up the data by esl student um by by students who have special needs because that's information they do collect and apparently that's like a super big project so they quoted like 64 grand but yeah we're we're definitely trying to look at other ways to 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 see if there's um 
to see if there's a disproportionate impact. Um, even a school breakdown would help too, right? Like seeing breakdowns in enforcement between a school like mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth versus uh, Lillian Osborne. Yeah. Yeah, and sorry, just to add one more thing, you know, when we think about the the disproportionate impact, right? You asked about uh, race-based data, Duncan, but you know, we we see in other jurisdictions the overrepresentation of, let's say, uh, ESL uh, or English language learners in certain tracks in the education system, right? So that practice we call streaming. We see certain students from populations, uh, people of African descent, especially. Uh, being over-categorized as having behavioral problems or certain types of learning disabilities. These are things that are known in the literature, the academic research in various jurisdictions that, um, so then we're talking about the intersection of things like disability and racism, right? And so I think that type of data will allow us to explore just how entangled some of these things are uh, in in the education system, you know, and I was on a master's thesis uh, committee where the, some qualitative interviews were done with students um, who are of Somali background. And they were saying that they were treated as English language learners, uh, even if they were third generation by counselors, right? But we, we, can't, we can't trace that uh, uh, if we don't have a larger systemic collection of data and information. And in fact, um, also, the opportunity to research these questions in the school systems, um, you know, so the school boards and the people who are running the research divisions should be more open to this type of work because it improves the quality of education for every student that seeks out education in the Edmonton Public School uh, uh, District, right? So, so if the goal is to to improve education, if the system does, if the people in the system do care about students, then we should be doing more of this type of research. We should be looking at these issues more thoroughly. Um, so I just wanted to add that because it, it goes back to that data question and um, how much we know about what is actually going on uh, in our school systems and how different students are affected. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just have to like completely agree with Alex. Like, If anything, like what we've done showed at how little our, our schooling system is being critically looked at. So we specifically talked about uh, school resource officers, but there's a whole other can of worms that we can get into, right? Like we can talk about streaming, for example, which in Ontario showed that there is a disproportionate impact there uh, when you break down by race. And if you look at um, some studies in, in, in Alberta, there's one study called Cash, Cash Berta, and uh, it actually quotes a Somali mom whose kid that was born in Canada was put in ESL. Uh, me, me, I was pulled out of my, my, my schooling to, to, to learn how to properly pronounce words because I was apparently pronouncing, uh, pronouncing some letters wrong. Um, and I almost got streamed down below if it wasn't for my dad, who was an engineer in Somalia. I, I definitely would have had a different education experience. So I think if anything, this data shows at how there needs to be a more critical examination of the awkward things that no one really wants to talk about. So enforcement and race uh, are, are two big ones. So if anything, we're barely scratching the surface. And hopefully this inspires more people to take a look at our school system. Yeah, I th- like I think you've made the case here like pretty conclusively that the SRO program has harmful effects and that it needs to be discontinued. 
Um, you know, right now, Edmonton Public School Board is, is, is reviewing their program. It's suspended. Edmonton Catholic seems to be really gung-ho about the program. But let's let's say we're in charge. We cancel the program tomorrow. What are the alternatives to police and schools? What would we rather see, uh, you know, school boards spend their money on? Yeah, I, I want to add before uh, before Alex jumps in, the Catholic School Board also wants SROs in elementary schools. Um, <laughs> Like I like it's 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 wild, but anyways, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll let Alex maybe answer that because he he helped me write the alternative section. Yeah. Um, or he he wrote the alternative section. Yeah, I mean, well, I put yeah, I thought you know we have to because we were talking about when we were having a conversation about how to present the data, you know, oftentimes people say, well, what can I do then? And this comes up a lot actually uh, in my work at the university with pre-service teachers. Um, you know, when you when you point out systemic issues, the question is, well, you know, what can we do to address it? Sometimes it seems insurmountable, et cetera. Um, And I want to sort of preface this by saying that it's not surprising, given the socialization in our society here in Canada, but in general, that people look to certain forms of punishment to address harm, right? Uh, We've been socialized, uh, you know, to see punishment, particular forms of punishment as the right consequence for these things, right? So uh, I I feel like this this also opens up the general question, not just about the alternatives to police in schools, but how can we begin as a society to rethink the ways we've been socialized to want to see certain forms of things like retribution uh, that often involves pain, incarceration? Like I said earlier, I'm from the United States. They just reinstated a firing line as a form of uh, death penalty. I want to say in South Carolina, but I'm not 100% sure, you know, a firing line, right? The death penalty still exists. So this is also, you know, shaped by all the media we see, you know, Hollywood is filled with revenge stories, you know, um, these kinds of things. And, and, And so it's not surprising that folks that are writing to us saying, well, these criminal, these students are criminals and they should see consequences. I'm not surprised that that exists because that is the society that we've come to, we've created ourselves, right? We're all responsible for creating, uh, for creating that society. So when it comes to schools, so many people have been doing work. Um, you know, you can follow folks on Instagram now that are doing daily posts on things like what is restorative justice in schools. Um, you know, so we start to move from that discipline punishment, carceral type logics, you know, um, suspension, expulsion into alternatives, but not just alternatives for addressing harm, but you have to sort of start before that, right? What kind of community is being is being created? So how are you addressing something even like bullying? What are your strategies to address bullying? What types of bullying education is working in your school? And we know that some of those programs work well and some are not very successful, right? So what's the information out there to address these programs, uh, uh, to address bullying, right? What type of programs? Um, So basically overall, the general thing is how do we address harm in ways that don't involve punishment and incarceration? Uh, And that takes a lot of work. And I think that's why it's very, it seems insurmountable for a lot of people because we quickly turn to not only punishment but we turn to the idea that the police are the ones that should be handling the consequences and that police in turn can keep us safe. But we know that police with mental health, whatever it is, they're not addressing the causes of those, of those issues. In a sense, they're there to address the, the symptoms. Um, 
and, and, and they do so for many things like, you know, mental health crises, not in a very good way. So in schools, I don't know, I, I would like to see a more open conversation about this. Uh, we point out on our, on our website that uh, the restorative justice, uh, restorative practices in education is even a page on the Alberta provincial website, the education website, right? Um, so even the province is advocating for these restorative practices. Um, I think they involve, you know, a basic idea behind that would be the question of accountability, right? How do you not, how do you make a consequence about accountability rather than punishment? And this, you know, there's tremendous work coming out by uh, uh, Black abolitionist feminists for a long time on these questions because they have been doing it in their own communities, right? It's not like this is something that, you know, I'm coming at from a middle, I'm a middle-class white professor from the university and I'm inventing these things that don't pertain to my community. People from these communities are the ones that are doing this work and have been doing this work. And so we should turn to their experiences and practices and the many things they've written and the many websites that exist on how to implement these alternatives in schools. Yeah. And, and you, uh, I think you brought it up in other media, Bashir, but it's like it, it, Toronto got rid of their SRO program a few years back. And they saw a dramatic drop in kind of like punitive discipline, right? A dramatic drop in expulsions and suspensions. Am I, am I right there? Am I remembering your statements in the, the kind of literature correctly? Yep. Yeah. And if you want the exact numbers, uh, or if anyone listening to this wants the exact numbers, uh, it's all on our website. And, and yeah, it, it shows a very dramatic uh, drop in suspensions, expulsions. Um, and yeah, the other thing too is like, yeah, you know, schools haven't uh, exploded. Um, and <laughs> And I mean, the the obvious challenge here, and, and I, I got this question from a teacher, is, okay, your alternatives are great, and how do we fund it? Well, the nice thing about the SRO program in Edmonton is that it's already funded. You know, like the school board already puts money into it. So immediately after the program is fully eliminated, you can put funds towards uh, mentors. You can put funds towards uh, uh, supports for teachers. Uh, and if you want specifics on what that actually looks like, we also list it on the alternative section. So it's there's there, there's a way already to start building a better world, you know. And a lot of people, especially uh, fiscal conservatives, will talk about, you know, well, we need something that's cost effective. What what I'll flip on them is, do you really think it's cost effective to have somebody who makes a hundred six a hundred and six thousand dollars a year, whose primarily job is not even mentorship, to to help coach a team, to help mentor a child? No, there's trained professionals who also should be being paid uh, well, you know, like I'm, uh, but are fully trained for this instead of like a two day seminar police officer attends on top of their six months of enforcement training. <laughs> yeah, you can get two educational assistants in a school for the cost of one cop, just FYI. <laughs> um, I, I suppose one thing that constantly comes up, right, is like, well, what do you say to the people or the teachers or the parents or the students who say, well, my SRO is great? Uh, you know, and they relay these kind of like positive anecdotal experiences with SROs. Like, how do you how do you respond to that in a kind of effective way? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, um, I, I, I would respond by saying, yeah, you know, like, people will have, you know, good experiences with somebody, um, right? Like, like personalities are like what they're speaking of is a personality, right? Like they're speaking of a situation where enforcement didn't happen, where that person was a good influence, uh, was a good influence on the child. That stuff would still happen, 
It'll still happen with education assistants. It'll still happen with mentors or coaches that, uh, that are not police. So parents and teachers will still get that, uh, assuming the funding is reallocated to the alternatives. The only thing that's taken out is the enforcement aspect. So I would almost like flip it, flip the question back and say, you know, is, is this the effect you really want though? Because yeah, you know, you may have someone who's a great person, but they also have a C8 rifle in their school. They also charge, uh, you know, 2000 students over a 10 year period. They also conduct investigations in your schools. They introduce students to the school to prison pipeline. So I, I think what Alex is saying earlier is a very good point that people need to reflect on, right? Like, do we want our schools to effectively become prisons? Do we want our schools to become uh, mini, mini police stations? Or do we want an environment that, um, you know, actually is based in community support, is actually based in diversion so that kids, if they make a mistake, and everybody has made a mistake as a child, is not introduced to the criminal justice system because I, I'm telling you now if a cop sees you uh, jaywalking or whatever um, they'll 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 find you if a teacher sees you do that or a student support sees you do that they'll go and talk to you tell you not to do that again if they see you having uh, a social problem that's messing up your schooling a social social worker can help you guide through that instead of finding ways to criminalize you the question here is also about, you know, so people did say, well, how would we fund these alternatives? Um, and the question here is political will and priority. Uh, you had a podcast, uh, an episode of this podcast, just I think two or three weeks ago about how 72 million is being invested in charter schools in this province, right? Um, Duncan, is that correct? Was it 72 million? That's correct. Yes. So, you know, what is the cost of the SRO program? We have 1.677 million, right? Um, that so, what could be done with that amount of money, 72 million, if it were injected into, let's say, the school systems in Calgary and, and Edmonton, in terms of creating alternative ways in which you have safe, caring, and healthy schools, right? That's so. There's a question of political will and and choice, and I also want to link this back, right? So. We've seen with the last four or five decades within the neoliberal capitalism is that we prefer uh, as a society, we have allowed to happen, not that we prefer, excuse me for saying that, we allow to happen a concentration of wealth and an increase in inequality between the, the top and the bottom, um, a decimation of social services. And our response to it is to increase police budgets and have them do the work for the hose, holes that have been poked in the, the ship through um, the gutting of these services and the gutting of our safety net uh, and, and those types of state-guided forms of care, right? So you're putting cops in the schools to do this. Um, so this is actually, this question about police, I see it also about getting rid of the SRO program as a larger question about how we want our society to look and what capitalism has done over the last few decades to it, where we choose surveillance and punishment rather than investing in schools and investing in communities, right? So I think, I think there's a larger question there that you know, we didn't always have police in schools, right? They, they emerged in the 1970s. Why have we normalized it as, oh, okay, we never had police in schools before, but because we've had it for the last few decades and some, some kids get along with them at the barbecue, 
um, you know, we're just going to keep them in, in, in schools because we think that having them there keeps us safe from all these things, all these other problems in our society that, that really we need to fix. So I see this question as a question around also a creating a strong, vibrant, healthy public education system. And SROs is one of the many issues there, but it is a major issue that affects particular students. And, um, you know, as Bashir said earlier, once the program is eliminated, which I also agree should be done, um, they shouldn't have even reviewed it. They should have just decided to cancel it and come up with alternatives. Um, I want to see hard work from the school boards and from teachers and public, you know, researchers like myself, act, uh, community advocates and activists like Bashir on how do we move forward to build a better, a better public education system that is actually safe and caring. Um, so that's, that's a role for all of us. There's a role for all of us to play in that, um, you know, mm -hmm. that larger question. That is, I think, a great way to uh, to end the podcast. Uh, what's next for the SRO Research Project? Is are you guys going to be doing more research, more analysis with this data? Is there, or we should we expect future kind of like releases on this? Yeah, uh, we're we're not going to be going away, and uh, right. yeah, uh, expect more. And yeah, I agree with you. The way Alex ended that is perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We will link to the SRO Research Project, obviously, in our show notes. Uh, Bashir, how can kind of people, Bashir and Alex, how can people kind of follow along with your work uh, on the internet? What's the best way? Uh, best way, uh, SROResearchProject.ca. Um, you know, it'll be updated there, or you can um, go to the contact page there if you want to reach out and have specific questions, or if you would like to um, offer your skills or your own research. Yeah, and you can see too, um, you know, many people might already follow Bashir on Twitter. Um, I have a Twitter account too, and I we would share, anytime we would release something, it would be shared through that also. Um, but uh, yeah, I think in the upcoming weeks, um, look for look for an update. We, we're we're still working through some stuff and hoping to release more soon. And as Bashir said, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna go away. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Uh, folks, if you like this podcast, if you want to join the 500 or so other folks who help keep this independent media project going, something very simple that you can do, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, please share. But the thing that's most important is like actual cash money dollars. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, but also just go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, put in your credit card, contribute. There's other ways you can contribute as well. You'll find them on the page. Just email me. Uh, also, I'm very easy to get a hold of if you want to chat about uh, giving us money or literally anything else. You can find me on uh, Twitter at, at Duncan Kinney. You can find me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Thanks to Jim Story for editing this podcast as always. Thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.